Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. So, the two truths. This is going to be a um, very, very thin outline because each, each uh, philosophical view has its own interpretation of the two truths. So I'm going to give you uh, kind of an overview and then talk a little bit about um, texts that we can study and then maybe talk a little bit about what Kacha Brampache has taught me about the uh, the final mode of the two truths. So, um, just somebody jump in. What are the two truths? What are the two truths that we uh, are talking about here? Uh, the ultimate truth and the conventional truth. Ultimate truth and conventional truth. That's right. So, why is it useful to divide things in that manner? How is it valuable? Worldly concerns and the concerns that are overworldly. Yeah, super mundane and super mundane. That's right. So the value of dividing that is that outward appearances, mundane appearances, are not they don't function the same way they appear. They appear to be solid. They appear to be permanent. They appear to be long lasting. They appear to be um, eternal and they are not in any way, shape or form. And so this is, this is why we have this dichotomy. So we have this, this way of working with things to say that, well, it appears this way, but in reality, it's this way. And that comes back to the Four Noble Truths and the way that the Buddha laid out the path. So the second Noble Truth, the truth of uh, the cause, is that we really don't understand how we experience the world. And so this is, this is the crux of the matter. And Nagarjuna talked about this in his Middle Way philosophy, the fundamental verses of his Middle Way. And he talked about, he didn't really lay out a view about what we were supposed to believe, but he examined different aspects of what we experience to show that they didn't have any intrinsic reality in and of themselves. And this is, this is the key here. So as we look at the conventional world, and, and even our internal conventional world of emotions and uh, mental impressions and consciousness itself, we start to realize that they aren't as solid as we think they are. They aren't as eternal as we think they are. Because we have this habit of self-grasping, we also have this habit of, of self-imputation on things. So as long as we have this false sense of self, this sense of rigidity in ourself and, and concreteness in ourself, 
we also project on, on everything we interact with. Um, for instance, um, ownership. Um, we say, this is my car, this is my house, this is mine, mine, mine. And so we relate everything we experience to that, to that belief in a self. So it helps us at the beginning, when we're starting to discover insight, the insight of the Buddha, which was the insight of number one, interdependence, but as we refine that view of interdependence, we realize that it's not simply interdependence, it's also total freedom. And what I mean by that is things cannot be interdependent if they were already fixed as they are. And we know that, we've, we've seen things change, we've painted the outsides of our houses, We've sold cars, we've bought cars, we've, we've had things become something that they're not. We've broken things. Things have lost their value. We've grown old. We recognize this, that things do not stay the way that we envision them and the way we expect them to. So the value of dividing our experience into two truths is to start to make sense of and to reveal the insight of the Buddha's wisdom in our own experience. We have any questions or comments about that? Yeah, Jinya? I do have a comment. Um, to me, it also helps to understand emptiness, which is a um, foundation of the Buddhist teachings and understanding that there are two truths and our experience of that mundane day-to-day um, -day, um, relative truth is not necessarily what it appears and that helps understand the emptiness um, aspect of appearances. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. The emptiness is, um, in the Mahayana Sutra, emptiness is the ultimate truth. The emptiness is the ultimate truth of conventional reality. So that's that's where they that's where they, they they finish their analysis is at emptiness. And actually, there's a there's a big uh, discussion about uh, is it emptiness? Is is it something that we can even put our finger on and say? So this is where you get the divisions in uh, the Majjhimika school, the divisions of the Middle Way school. You get Prasangika, and you get Satantrika. Um, and this really came in much, much later than, than Nagarjuna and, and even later than Chandrakirti. Chandrakirti is the, is the uh, Galupa champion of uh, Prasangika Majamika. And of course, um, um, Shantarakshita is the Yogacara um, Sautantrika Majamika, master of the Nyingmas. So we, th we, you know, we think everything comes from our mind and our mind is is generating all of this uh, experience and so we have that stint but again even that point of view was kind of rediscovered by uh, Mipam later in the uh, in the 19th century so there's these different views that we can have the, the point is and and if you want to really really read something that that points to um, a holistic view of uh, emptiness I would read chapter 9 of the Bodhisattva's way of life, because he doesn't, uh, <laughs> he didn't down and say, this is my view, uh, Satantrika or Prasangika. He simply says, this is the way things appear and this is how they are. And he kind of, uh, Shantideva kind of leaves it to us 
to kind of decide and to, and to make our own way through that emptiness. But he does make a very, very valuable point, which I, I come to again and again in verse 9, excuse me, verse 25. And so this is, this is something that I think is really, really important for us to remember as we, as we think about emptiness here. It's not indeed our purpose to disprove experiences of sight and sound or knowing. Our aim here is to undermine the cause of sorrow, the thought that such phenomena have true existence. So a lot of people will understand emptiness to be a nothingness and to be a nihilism. This is absolutely incorrect. So when we discover this, this flexibility and this unboundedness, we start to think, well, well, nothing matters. And it becomes, and it can very quickly become this uh, moral relativism where, well, from my point of view, we can make it this way and you can justify anything through logic if you have the right uh, constructs. And, and this, is not the, this is not the way that we, that we do that. That's not valuable for us. So again, we divide these two truths so that we can work with conventional reality in order to undermine our habituation of grasping at it. Does that make sense to everybody? I think it's a very, very valuable thing to kind of come back to. I, 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 I come back to that a lot because as, we, as you read these texts and you say, oh, yeah, you know, it's proved that these things don't even exist at all. You, you can, if you read the, the Prasangika texts, you can, you can, you can completely obliterate your belief in anything. And that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. So we have to remember that this wisdom is a tool. This wisdom is a tool to alleviate suffering for ourselves and others. Questions or comments on that? All right. So when we talk about the two truths, we talk about Majamika, and we, we recognize that Nagarjuna's middle way philosophy blossomed from the Prajnaparamita sutras, the second turning of the wheel of Dharma. And so this is where lack of inherent existence is taught. And this is taught as the definitive truth here, all right? So um, when we say definitive truth, we mean this is the, this is the final word. So... The first turning of the wheel of Dharma is um, selflessness was taught. Then the second turning of the wheel of Dharma, lack of inherent existence is taught. And so that's expressed as, as emptiness in, uh, in English. And so the key phrase of the, the Heart Sutra, it's uh, the Prajnaparamita Hridaya Sutra, which is the very, very short version of the Heart Sutra is form is emptiness emptiness is form and of course we have the five skandhas and so it goes all the way through to consciousness we have form feeling perceptions impulses or mental formations and consciousness those five are emptiness now it does not say form and emptiness emptiness and form it says form is emptiness. That's the way it's translated here in English. Form is emptiness. So this is how we start to understand a union 
the two truths. Because often we, we, we can deal with the conventional truth if we take it at face value and say, oh yes, this is a person and this person is, this person is my mother and this person uh, uh, has certain points of view and, and uh, I should treat this person with compassion. And then, and then we can kind of flip the switch and say, but, but really it's also, you see what I mean? This person is also empty. This person also is unbound in their form, unbound in their consciousness, unbound and totally free. Does that make sense to everybody? I want you to understand that these two are not separate. While we use it as a tool, as a division, in reality, it is singular. It is one truth. It's one truth that we experience and that the conventional truth can only unfold because these conventional truths are empty, because they are unbound, because they are not fixed, they are not concrete in any way. That's the only way things could work. That's the only way the beads on my mala can move. If it were fixed and concrete, it would be static. The beads would not move. It would never change shape. It would be what it is forever and ever. But that's not true. It's unboundness. It's flexibility. It's interdependence is what's true. And that's what, that's what brings the two truths together. Questions or comments about that? I have a question, uh, John. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the biggest paradox is always the same about the selflessness, you said, is the first turning of the will. Selfless. So there's no, the non-dual thing, you know, and not having a self. And then when you go to the karmic, my good actions, my bad actions, and that's where we come back to a self. Mm-hmm. Is that where the ultimate and conventional truth mix and there's no real self, but the karmic is more like a, like a global thing, not a self thing? Do you know what I mean? No, you're, you, yeah, I understand exactly what you mean and karma is uh, you experience karma because you grasped at a self it's totally mistaken so if you experience karma you're grasping at a self the karma can only act upon a solidified grasped at self if we don't, if we recognize that self as empty, and I mean, and I, and I mean, recognized with a capital R, I don't mean, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> it's empty. But I mean, if we fully realize that our self, then that karma is also empty. That karma has nowhere to land, nothing to bounce off of. So karma would be part of conventional truth. Uh, it's all the same. It's all the same. We said there's a unity of the two truths. So, Karma is empty, just like self is empty. So as long as I believe, as long as I say, this is my phone, and I drop my phone, and I break my phone, I'm going to be upset that my phone is broke. But as soon as I sell that phone, I don't care if it breaks. And what I mean is, as long as, as soon as we let go of this grasping at ourselves, that karma has nowhere to land anymore. And I mean, realize this, not just, not just read about it and, and, and think about it. Is that, 
Does that make sense? I mean, once we realize deeply and profoundly that there is no self, then that karma has nowhere to land. That uh, reaching nirvana then? Or yeah. Yeah, so we can call it cessation. Liberation Act would be a little more, we can fiddle with words. But yeah, you're completely beyond this grasping at yourself. And when you become completely beyond grasping at the self, then karma also it just becomes another, another play. Snowflakes in the sky, you know? We call it display. From the Dzogchen perspective, we call it display. Thank you. Yeah, if you have more questions, we can we can talk more. If that doesn't if that doesn't make sense, it makes sense. Just need more practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, saying it, saying it's super easy. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's super easy to say. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but realizing it, and and that's why I emphasize the realization aspect because we need to realize it in our heart of hearts to recognize. And that's, that's exactly right. But yeah, maybe I do have a question. The conduct and the good mm -hmm. and bad actions and all that, the four turnings of the mind, this is all about me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, I've, I've, also, I've also kind of struggled with that a little bit, but I've come to realize that we need this focus of practice in order to transform. We need this focus of practice in order to realize. Because if we don't have this, the person, if John is on the path, and if we don't have John walking the path, then there's no path to walk. You see what I mean? So once that John is gone, then the path is also gone. And you've heard that, the story about carrying your boats across the mountains. You don't need them anymore. Leave them at the river. So once we've crossed the ocean of liberation, ocean of samsara, to the other side, then we don't need the path anymore. But we still have this person that we're clinging to whether it's, it's intense grasping or even subtle grasping, we're still grasping. And so that person, that self, is the center of our path. They express compassion to others who are not on the path and don't have the realization. And they're the ones who are transformed. They're the ones who realize no self, realize emptiness, realize the nature of their mind, right? So yeah, you still, we still have this path. But in actuality, it's a bit of a misnomer. And this is, this is I'm, I'm quoting uh, Dujan Rinpoche here. It's an illusory individual that travels an illusory path and gains illusory liberation. Because in reality, we're already liberated. And this comes later in the third turning of Lula Dharma, when, it's, when the basis, our, our Buddha nature is discussed. It's just our own habit to say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not enlightened at all. When in fact, we are. Because of our grasping, we can't see that liberation. We can't see that natural liberation, that self-liberation. It's a little bit complicated. But it's important to understand that right now, we have a path to travel. We have obscurations to purify. And we have boomies and stages to realize, okay? We have the five paths to travel and 10 boomies to realize. 
Donna, you had a question or comment? Yes. Uh, I uh, think about the, uh, the nature of attachment when I'm thinking about these things. And uh, I sometimes get kind of wrapped up in overthinking attachment. And uh, that's a difficulty. I, I think it's sort of like it's okay to be attached, but not not really, really attached. If you kind of follow my thinking on that. Mm -hmm. It's because attachment is a, it can be thought of as a sort of loving kindness, unless it goes too far and you want things to always be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. Let's do a little bit of a thought experiment here. Then, and, and we'll talk about attachment. And we'll say, Donna is a fish, and attachment is a fish hook. Where do you want that fish hook to go, Donna? Do you want it to go in your lip? Do you want it to go in your cheek? Do you want it to go in your side? Which is the best place to put that hook? It, it hurts no matter where you put it. This is my point. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter where you put it. It's going to hurt. This attachment is going to bring us suffering. So it doesn't matter a little bit of attachment or a lot of attachment, that hook is still in us. Yes, but for some, some of us, we're attached to attachment. Of course, yeah. So we kind yeah. of like it. Yeah, of course we are. And, and this, is, this brings me to a really good point here. Katja Rinpoche taught to, to me, and I'm sure that the, the people, other people have had other teachings more subtle than this, but he taught me that the conventional truth is our mind, our thinking, them. In Tibetan they say sem. And the ultimate truth is, is the nature of our mind, is our awareness, semni, the nature of mind. And so everything that comes from our mind, whether it's thinking or grasping or consciousness or or anything we emanate, like um, deciding to, to build a house, every, everything. It's all, it's all conventional. Everything that comes from our mind is a conventional truth, but, it's, but it springs forth from that freedom of our nature of mind. Because that mind is naturally free, and that's the part that we forget. So when we talk about Rigpa uh, in the Dzogchen context, there's also Ma Rigpa which we can, we can loosely translate as forgetting awareness. So we have awareness, but we also, oh, shit, I forgot about it. I, yeah, you're right, I have awareness, and I forgot about my awareness. And so we fall back into mundane thinking. But yeah, everything, everything that we're grasping at, even grasping at grasping, attachment to attachment, so, uh, you know, for instance, I have, I have family and I'm attached to my family. And when I see my family, I, I, I all these feelings of love and, and, and I, I miss them and I, and I care about them. Feelings come up. But even when, even when they're in a different state and they're very, very far away, I still have that. I still have those memories and I like to dig those up. And I like to remember, oh, we had so much fun. And, and, and you, kind of, you kind of get that attachment out and you fool with it and, and turn it in, you know what I mean? And, and so it's, it's something that we, uh, 
we have to work at to, uh, to keep going. And that's our habit, is we work at keeping our suffering going. We really do. We really do. But there's really, you're, you're not wrong to do that. You know, there's nothing evil or, or wrong with that. It's just... Oh, it can, get, it can get unvirtuous very quick, Donna. It can get unvirtuous very quickly. But yeah, so the, the most important thing to do here is when we have those feelings of attachment, it's okay to have those feelings of attachment. But what we do is we let them, we let them play. And this is where the eight similes of illusion come in. So we can look at them as a mirage. We can look at them as a magician's trick. We can look at them as a city in the clouds. We can look at them, you know, all these different metaphors of illusion. And so this is what we do. Uh, this is Long Chimpa's advice. When we're off the cushion, when we're, non, when we're not sitting and meditating, this is how we see the world. We see it as an illusion. And so this, is, this helps us break that habit. Because we can still see it and we can still experience it, but we're experiencing it as, a, as an illusion. My favorite way to do it is to say it's like a, a mirage, where you see the road and you see the water out on the road, you know, because of the heat waves. Because this is how, this is how things interact. It's simply interdependence showing up that looks like John. You're looking at you're looking at John, but that's not really John. That's a screen with digits and colors and pixels, and that's not really John. You're being you're being tricked by a computer screen. But we say, oh yeah, there's there's John. So think of things as an illusion. This is this is really really helpful, and that's why mindfulness is is a practice that's with us through all the paths and all the stages. Mindfulness, we, we never lose the need for mindfulness as long as we're on the path. Because mindfulness is recalling what to accept and what to reject. And so here, what to accept is, this is illusion, and what to reject is our attachment to it, to this illusion. This is the, this is the point here. I think by uh, being aware of attachment, and that it exists, we can understand other people a lot better. Yeah, absolutely we can. And, and that's where the compassion arises, is we look at ourselves and we're thinking, holy crap, I meditated, how long have I meditated? So very long, and I still have this, I'm still as hard as a nail. I did, it's, I'm, as, I'm like granite. My heart is like granite. It, it, it's changed me maybe this much over all this time that I've meditated. So now, how can somebody who doesn't meditate, how can they change? How can they release their grasping? They can't, of course. So we have compassion for ourselves and we include the others in that, that we're all trying to be happy and they're grasping. It's, it's very difficult. So it, it, it helps us set aside our own, our own games, so to speak, you know? I agree with you. Simply being aware of the struggle that we're going through makes us aware of, of the struggle that others are going through. So did everybody hear that earlier when, when I described our mind, sem, as the relative truth, and semni, the nature of our mind, as the ultimate truth? Did everybody understand that? 
questions or comments about that? No? Perfectly explained? Perfectly understood? <laughs> no, that's not true, you guys. At least the uh, explained part. Yeah, Jane, jump in there. Um, I'll just uh, share something that Rinpoche said when he was in New York recently um, that kind of helps, well, kind of helps link up um, these heavy philosophical notions of emptiness and the nature of mind with our practice of insight. Um, he, he spent most of the time, the, the, the teaching was going to be on Vimalamitra's lamps, but um, he actually spent quite a lot of the time giving us some very solid, simple um, insight <laughs> instructions. He, he, um, he said, look inside, make sure you're looking inside, not outside, because sometimes we think about emptiness as, you know, that object is empty and we're thinking about something outside. It's to turn your mind inside yeah. and watch, you know, see, come to be able, you have to do this over and over again, at least in my experience. Um, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens gradually. But learn to see um, your own grasping at, you know, whatever, at your own negative emotions sometimes. You know, how the, I just want to grasp, I want to hold on to my negative emotions. Absurd though that sounds. Um, or, you know, I want something. Catch yourself and look at it. You know, look at your grasping. And then... Um, look internally to where let's see I'm forgetting something here but uh, you're looking at your grasping outward and you're looking at your um, source of the grasping is a word I'm forgetting but um, you're looking at kind of internally but you both of those are you're looking inward you're looking at your own minds reaching out to grasp at things and uh and i wish i could remember it just flew out of my mind but anyway it's you know he was he was really emphasizing look inward emptiness is not something you know analytic this approach is is really directly experiencing emptiness you know and you directly experience emptiness by seeing grasping directly you know you you learn to be able to see your own grasping um and then once you can see it or even partially see it like the book points out too it doesn't happen all at once it can be partial um it it kind of comes apart as something empty you know the more when you can see wow that that was me grasping wasn't it you know um you can see how empty it is just by seeing, wow, that was me grasping. So it helps, uh, it, you know, it just, it, he, he says this quite often. He kind of reminds us to look inside and uh, it helps link up these, these um, you know, intellectual notions of emptiness and the nature of mind as opposed to the mind. Um, to actual experience and something that you can return to every day. Okay, I'm gonna 
try looking at my grasping. No. Yeah, Jane, thank you. That hugely powerful. Hugely powerful. So what what Jane's saying is this is the 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 parable uh, about the the differences between a dog and a lion. I'm sure you guys have read this before. When you throw a, a stick, the dog chases after the stick. When you throw a stick at a lion, <laughs> the lion looks where that stick came from and goes directly at who threw the stick. And so we have to be like lions. We have to come to the main point because everything externally is our own projection. So this is a Yogacara perspective that everything is our mind. Everything is our own perspective. And this is, this is what they mean when we talk about non-duality. Longchenpa talks about non-duality. And really, that's, what, that's exactly what this means, that our mind is everything we're experiencing. Again, it comes from this perspective of I, me, mine. And everything rotates around that, that pivot point of me. And so everything we experience is our mind. And so we have to, we don't look at, we don't have to look at that and say, oh, that's empty, that's empty, that's empty, that's empty. We just look at this. We look at our own mind and we say, oh, yeah, that's empty. The, 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 what, what Jane said is, is hugely, hugely powerful. That's the, that's, the, that's the key to actually gaining experience and practice. Looking again and again, again and again. Any parting shots? We're, we're coming up to the end of the hour here. Any, any last questions, comments, corrections? I just liked you using the word boundless. I thought that that was really helpful. And I also liked your explanation of karma. Yeah. I thought that was helpful also. Thank you. No, you're welcome. I like to use the term unbounded because emptiness particularly uh, when you're first explaining this, this idea of non-identity, emptiness has, we in America quickly go to nihilism. Nothing matters. Oh, empty. Ah. You know, so yeah, I, I, that, that's a, that's something I ran into many, many times. So unboundedness is, is the key, is the key. Totally free from the beginning. Okay, let's just do a real quick uh, bodhicitta dedication, and then we'll meditate for a minute, maybe afterwards. Jangjo zumjo rumbo chi maje banam kigu chi kibanam bame bayan gongne gongdu pewo show. Thanks, everybody.